All right, today's passage is Philippians 3, verse 1. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Let's, uh, let's pray. Lord, thank you for who you are. Uh, Lord, as we dive in, what, what it means just to rejoice in you, I pray that we can be renewed uh, in who you are as, as just our, our Savior, our sustainer in this life, and a life to come. And, and Lord, uh, we love you and thank you because of your grace, uh, because of your mercy on us as, as sinners, uh, and Lord, um, because you loved us first. So uh, be glorified as we uh, dig in today and just help us to grow and, and rejoice in you. Amen. All right, well, uh, I'm glad to be back up here again today as we continue through the letter to the Philippians. It's been a, a pretty good tour through the letter, and, and today we have a bit of like a transition text, uh, so to speak. And if we look back at the letter so far, uh, there's been a lot of things that's happened, right? Uh, we've seen Paul go uh, back and forth about news of his own situation, and then uh, differing points of instruction for the church in Philippi that they needed to hear, and, and he's covered a, a bunch of different topics. So uh, we saw the, the progress of the gospel in the city of Rome, as, as Jason preached on uh, to start out, and then he talked about suffering as as that evidence of faith in Christ, as Chris taught on, and then um, imitation of Christ uh, with interactions and service to one another, and then the uh, interactions with Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul, as John and Dan uh, taught on a couple weeks ago. And today we're going to see Paul transition them into some additional teachings that are really just fundamental for living before the face of God in a, in a manner that pleases him. So uh, it's only one verse today. Uh, Heather says, shortest verse ever read up here. Uh, but one verse, and it's doing a couple of things here. Uh, one, it's looking back at what was written already, and it's exhorting the brothers and sisters in Philippi to do uh, really one main thing. It's pretty obvious here, and that's rejoice in the Lord. And then uh, right after that, he issues this another encouragement to the, the church where he says he's going to repeat himself, right? And that's some very, he, he previews uh, really, and Jason will get into more of that next week, but he previews some, some really applicable steps to grow and protect yourself in the faith. Okay, so with that, let's, let's jump into that first part, and we're going to spend the majority of the time today, uh, which deals with uh, rejoicing, found in verse 1. It says this, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. All right, Paul, Paul talks about rejoicing 16 different times in this letter, and this is not a big letter, right? It's four chapters, that's it. So I think he's really trying to make a point here, um, but we really need to be careful in how we understand it. Uh, in our comfortable corner of the earth in northern Colorado, and, and I look back at my comfortable upbringing, um, I have this presupposition or, or a preconceived notion on, on what joy or, or rejoicing really means. It seems simple, but I almost always associate with whatever brings me happiness, right? Um, whatever makes me smile or whatever uh, fills my belly, right? Basically, whatever circumstances uh, uh, please me, 
And, and that's where I find joy is. I mean, uh, think about right now, our family does a ton of fishing. And uh, when I think of joy or rejoicing, I can't think of anything that makes me more uh, joyful than seeing my kids, like, just uh, grab a, a lunk of a fish and, and reel it in. Like, that, that's, like, exciting. I rejoice in that. I, I praise God for that. Uh, and these things, uh, they bring joy, right? They should. That's common grace uh, to believer and unbeliever alike. Uh, we can all experience these things, and they are good. But I also have an idea of what the antonym of, of joy is, right? The opposite of joy. Uh, and that's something that doesn't make me happy, okay? I don't like bad food or waiting in line or I don't like waiting for anything, to be honest. And, you know, I don't like when people disagree with each other. I don't like when people get mad at each other or, uh, or, or sickness or illness or chronic pain or, or death or, or divorce, right? All these things, to me, are the antonym of joy in my nice little corner of the earth here in northern Colorado. And, and I look back even at my own life. I mean, there's been times where I've just had the joy just like sucked out of my life. Um, I remember my, my last year playing in the minor leagues. Um, I, I was coming back from a broken rib. I broke a bunch of ribs and I was coming back from this injury. And it took me a few weeks just to get my, my feet under me back into the swing of things. And we're, we're packing up the bus, getting ready for a road trip cross country, and the coach calls me back into his office, and he's like, hey, uh, Jake, we, we just put you on waivers, and in, in sports terms, that's uh, your cut, right? So it's like, boom, I just lost my job, right? I mean, it's uh, gone. Um, I had a, a newborn son, Henry. Uh, my amazing wife, Hope, that I was supporting. Uh, we didn't have family anywhere around us, and... <clears throat> I just, uh, it just like sucked uh, the, the joy out of me, and I felt like a, a failure at that time, right? I mean, my, my circumstances at that point just destroyed me, and, and I look at all the times, like rejoicing. It, it can just like ebb and flow, and I'm sure you guys can do the same thing. It's like, why, why do we have to have the... The, the roller coaster of, of joy and, and not joy. And I have to ask this, like, is it, is it just that we're finding uh, our ultimate joy in, in just the good gifts rather than in the, the good giver, right? Let me say that again. Are, are we finding that, that joy in just the good gifts instead of the good giver, right? And, and I do that, right? When I try to insert my definition of rejoicing and more importantly, Rejoice in the Lord, gosh, I think I, I just like twist up scripture a lot of the time. And I make it all about just me and my circumstances. I mean, have you ever caught yourself doing that? Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's a hard thing to continually be aware of on that. And I'm sure you've all heard, right, when you, when you read scripture... Uh, we want to, to take out the meeting, like when we want to do that, we should relate it to the, the context of what that, that text is in, right? The greater context of the scripture. Uh, not only that, but we should probably relate it to the time period, uh, to the culture, and then if we're still unclear on things, uh, man, we should let the, the Bible as a whole guide us in, in trying to understand what that text is saying and how we interpret it. Like the last thing that uh, we want to do is jump in to uh, the Bible and, and just open it up and say, man, what does this mean to me today? Um, it's so dangerous to your faith when you do that. 
we, we need to ask, what is the author trying to say to the people he's writing to, right? And we should ask, what is God doing in this passage, okay, that, that glorifies him and makes much of him uh, because of what was written, right? God is the author of Scripture. He's breathed it out, and, and he's given us minds to understand and we need to like, heed ourselves and bow to uh, the text. And, and then, after that, then we can relate ourselves to Scripture, right? And we can see what do we have in common with uh, those to whom that, that text was written. I mean, I mean, I'm sure like you, I, I get beat up in, in the Scripture a lot because I just want it to be written like a playbook or, or a manual, right? And it's not. The playbook or the Bible is not a, a playbook. It's God's word that's breathed out, showing uh, his sovereignty, his, his glory uh, over all of creation and his mercy on us. Everything points uh, to him. It's about him. And so with that as the guide here, what does rejoice in the Lord uh, mean? Can I just insert my definition uh, of what rejoicing is and make it completely circumstantial uh, to how I feel about the Lord, as we talked about earlier, and I don't think so. Um, I mean, we define the word rejoice, right? In Scripture, uh, it's closely aligned with just being happy, okay? If we look at that, that definition on a high level, it's, uh, you open the dictionary, it's like to be well, to be glad, to thrive, uh, have elation, and so forth. Um, but in this example, in Scripture, it says, rejoice in the Lord, Okay, Paul uses the same thing in the next chapter over. He says, uh, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say uh, rejoice. So, so what does he mean? How do you rejoice in the Lord? Is it circumstantial? Is it only when, when you feel good about it? Or is it only when uh, my desires are met that I can do that? What does it mean to you? Think about that. In Philippi, I think Paul has a really specific purpose in, in saying this. He wants people to understand that they're children of the God Most High. And I think they're, they're victim to not really understanding that very well. And I'll tell you, here's why I think that. Um, we're going to take a look at uh, their condition, our condition, apart from Christ, okay, apart from Christ, right? Uh, they're humans, they're fallen people, uh, they're broken, um, they're advertently and inadvertently uh, sinful to the core, okay? And, and we all inherit this condition from uh, our father, Adam. Uh, Romans 5.12 says this, it says, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. Now, what's this mean? It, it, it means that we sin. We're, we're sinners, okay? Uh, I think R.C. Sproul said it best when he said that we're not sinners just because we sin, right? Uh, we sin because we're sinners, Okay, let me say that again. We are not sinners because we sin. We sin because we are sinners. Okay, that doesn't mean that all humans are, are, are as wicked as they possibly can be. It means that the fall was, was so serious that it affects the whole person. The fallenness that captures and grips our human nature affects our bodies. 
Okay, that's why we get ill. That's, that's why we die. It affects our minds. It affects our thinking. Okay, we still have the capacity to think, but the Bible says the mind has become darkened and weakened. Uh, the will of man is, is really no longer in that, uh, that, that pristine state of, of moral power, as you could say. Uh, the will, according to the New Testament, is now in bondage. We're enslaved to the evil impulses and desires of our hearts. Right? The body, the mind, the will, the spirit, the whole person have been affected by the power of sin. And sin is something that comes from our hearts in biblical terms, right? That means it's, it's from the, the very core or from the center of our existence, okay? So, so what's required uh, for us to rejoice in the Lord and, and to truly enjoy Christ, it, it's not some, some small adjustments that we need to make or, or some uh, behavioral modifications, right? It's, it's nothing less than, than renovation from the inside, right? We need to be regenerated, to be made over again, to be quickened by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the only way in which a person can escape that radical situation is by the Holy Spirit changing the core, okay, the heart. And however, even that doesn't instantly vanquish sin, right? The complete elimination of sin awaits our our glorification in heaven. Uh, but, okay, but because we have been made new, made alive, brought from death to life, okay, saved by the Savior, Christ's redeeming work on the cross, where his righteousness is transferred to us, right? It's reckoned to our account, and our, our ugly, dirty uh, sin uh, is punished on the shoulders of Christ at Calvary, is why we can and should deliberately and continually rejoice in the Lord, right? That, that work of salvation, of faith, uh, that he started in us, that he's going to complete in us, that's news to rejoice in, amen? It is. And not only that, uh, Paul, Paul talks, uh, he goes on, he talks about the numerous situations in, in his letters about really hard times, okay, that he's doing this in. Um, he talks, even just within the, the first part of his letter, he talks about being poured out as a, a drink offering, okay, and suffering for, for Christ's sake. Uh, he's engaged in conflict, right? He's imprisoned. And yet, the recurring theme in the letter is to press on in rejoicing in the Lord here. He states, uh, remember if we, we go back to chapter 1 in verse 25, um, where Paul, Paul was deciding like, uh, man, if I, if I die, it's better because I can go with Christ. But if I live, uh, you know, I'm hard-pressed between which one I should do. And in verse 25 of chapter 1, he says that he wants to stay alive. Uh, and here's why he says, because it's necessary on his account, knowing that to remain and continue with them is for their progress and joy in the faith. <laughs> that's, that's why he, he, he wants to be alive, uh, for the progress and joy uh, in the faith and with others, right? I mean, this is why Jesus died, okay? In, our, in ourselves, we, we as sinners uh, have no hope of everlasting rejoicing in God. No hope. Um, we, we can't even get near him without being incinerated by his holiness. But 
God is utterly committed to being enjoyed forever by a redeemed people. We see uh, the Apostle Peter says this uh, because of that, right? Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, okay? To God. And we get to, to know the Lord, okay? Through uh, his word, through his creation, through prayer, worship, relationships. Uh, this is how we rejoice, okay? By, by knowing God, despite our, our circumstances. And, and he goes on. He, he gives us the context for rejoicing in bad circumstances. Again, in uh, just a couple verses down in chapter 3, uh, starting in verse 8, he says this, that he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord. Um, uh, amazing. He continues and says that he suffered uh, the loss of all things and counts them as, as rubbish, as garbage, in order that he may gain Christ and be found in him, that he may know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and that by any means possible he may attain the resurrection from the dead. Okay, I, the reason why Christians are commanded to rejoice in the midst of trials and suffering and persecution now it really becomes clear um, with that as a, a backdrop. But by looking to the future, Christians need to know that their trials, however difficult they are, uh, they're temporary when all is said and done. God promises to turn every current trial to our eternal good. Even though uh, this is the truth, right, we might not actually ever see that good here, um, but we can trust in him, okay? Uh, true joy, it's not grounded in like that, that personal sentiment where it's just you conjure up the I feel joyful, uh, right? And, and it's not grounded in, in some uh, stoic resolve, like you're going to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps and, and face the future, uh, right? Uh, true joy is grounded in the fact that the crucified Savior who died for our sins to tur turn aside the wrath of God uh, and who is also bodily raised from the dead will come again, and he's going to fulfill all of his promises, Christians rejoice in times of trial and suffering because doing so, it emulates that saving work of Jesus uh, who suffered and died before being raised from the dead and exalted at the right hand of the Father uh, where he's going to uh, rule over all things. Right? That, that pattern established by, by Jesus that uh, suffering uh, precedes glory holds true for all of us who trust in him and are united to him through his spirit. Just as Jesus suffered and was raised, uh, we're promised the same thing. Uh, our, our suffering, trials, temptations, persecutions will, will all give way to the blessing that Jesus has promised to us, that, that future hope of which Paul uh, always talks about. And I, I need to be clear here, right? I mean, re rejoicing in times of trial, it's not some uh, meaningless uh, ritual, uh, okay? It's not where we just focus on how we feel. Right? Or, or, that, or that resolve right? to be brave on stuff. Um, instead, we are following the example set by Jesus in his own life, uh, death, and, and resurrection. 
Okay, again, suffering and trials give way to the resurrection of our bodies, right? Future glory, uh, eternal life, right? We can, we can, as Christians, rejoice in the midst of suffering because of Jesus, who has secured and now guarantees a joy and a future joy uh, for all those that he redeems. Now, does that mean that we have to have a, a nice smile on our face at all times? Okay, uh, that, that doesn't equate. Um, does it mean we have to delight in the midst of, of illness and, and death and persecution? Right? Uh, no. Um, God made us with emotions, right? Uh, sadness and, and grief and disappointment. Uh, these are all like real felt uh, emotions, and they're not necessarily bad. Okay? But the, the root of the emotion, right, that thing that it's tethered to, uh, has to be a trust in the sovereignty and the goodness of the Lord. Okay? It has to be tethered to the sovereignty and the goodness of the Lord. When we rejoice the Lord, we're not continually leaning towards our circumstances, okay? but, but we're leaning towards God's grace. To, to rejoice in the Lord is to experience God's grace and be conscious of that grace. And maybe it's good to ask yourself, right, uh, within your life, um, what are you leaning towards in life when things happen? Well, what do you lean towards? You know, when you lean towards something, you begin to move in that direction, Okay, ask yourself, are, are you moving towards the problem or are you moving towards God's grace? Okay, is your, is your inclination to, to focus on the negative or that circumstance, the circumstantial, or the positive of who God is and what he's done for you? Okay, I mean, the Christian does not deny the reality of pain and struggle, but it doesn't wallow in it. We don't grieve as those who, who have no hope. We lean on the Lord who gives us strength. And when you, when you lean in uh, the Lord, you can rejoice in Him always, in spite of your circumstances. I, I know when, when I look back at when I lost my job on that team, like, man, I was devastated, right? But, but I trusted that God was sovereign, okay? I knew that my true identity and my future, right, they, they were sealed up. And if God wanted me to have another job uh, playing hockey, then, then he's going to provide that, you know? Um, and he did. I got, I got picked up by another team quickly and finished out that season. But, but if he didn't, I have to trust that his plan is good and I was meant to be somewhere else. And looking back in, in God's sovereignty, I can see that maybe I was meant to suffer because maybe I was thinking more about my circumstance and my little world and my job than I was about my faith, okay? And, and God used that uh, to refocus me on, on him, right, on the, the good giver, uh, not the good gifts, so uh, sometimes this, this does not come easy, 
okay? Uh, our flesh gets in the way, and I think the next part of verse 1 here addresses the flesh. Right after he says rejoice, he, he talks about repeating himself. Paul picks up and he writes this. He goes, to write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Okay, it's, it's kind of like telling your kids to, to look both ways before they, they cross the street, or at least for my young kids. Um, I'm fine repeating that stuff, right? I mean, that's, uh, I'll do it all day long. As long as they listen to that advice and uh, by doing so, they prevent those, the dangers from you know, running across the street. Um, and, and forgetting about that advice, okay? So he knows the importance, uh, Paul does, of repeating himself. He knows the importance of, of knowing what you believe and why you believe it, right? He's not afraid to hammer the gospel over these guys' heads so they know who the living God is. And I think one of the most impactful ways to, to learn, right, and to grow is, is this, right? I mean, uh, focus, uh, memory, and then application of that stuff, and, and then repeat it, right? And I'm not saying that as some uh, just anecdotal advice, right? I'm a professional teacher, uh, a lifelong learner, uh, and so let me ask this question. Uh, how many of you guys can remember what you learned in high school? Okay, even high schoolers can answer that question. Um, or, or maybe in a, a college humanities class, does anybody remember uh, really anything from that? And uh, I'm guessing that the answer is not much, okay? And why is that, right? It's probably because you crammed in memorization, right, to take a test, and then once you finished the test, you just dumped all that information from your short-term memory, and then you just moved on to the next class and tried to memorize everything for that, uh, and you crammed, and then you dumped that stuff out, and you just, you know, rinse and repeat. Uh, I see it all the time as a teacher. Um, pressing forward in the faith is not easy. It's not a cram session, Okay, it's not where you put down all the right answers and then you walk out of class. True faith is, is continual, right? Rejoicing in the Lord is not a one-time thing. It's a lifelong venture. And if we uh, don't work out our faith, if we're not reminded daily about the grace of God and apply it in our lives... Uh, and then repeat that daily, right, we will tend to forget and we're going to get led astray. Uh, that's what's happening in the church in Philippi, right? The, the Judaizers, they're, they're preaching a different gospel to these guys, one that adds works upon faith to be accepted by God. And they're attacking the believers in the one true gospel, uh, Paul is saying that it's no trouble to write the same things again to him. And, and what is he talking about there? Um, he said a lot of this stuff in, in chapter 1 that we went over, um, verse 27 through 30. I'll read it out for you here. I don't have it up there, but it says this, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign of them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you for, uh, that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had, and now here that I still have. Uh, 
Um, so he, he's not afraid, chapter 3, verse 1, he's not afraid to repeat himself. There are crafty people out there that are trying to lead people astray. And this is where we have a crazy amount uh, of things in common with the people in Philippi. The, the opponents back then were the Judaizers. Okay? Today's, um, ours are, are numerous. Are you kidding me? I mean, just look around. Um, they're numerous. Uh, maybe one in particular could be um, the Roman Catholic Church. Okay, and I'm not by any means trying to, to bash the, the Roman Catholic Church, but the Roman Catholic Church teaches a doctrine that's very similar to the Judaizers, in that uh, the Judaizers of the New Testament, right? It's because they have uh, their doctrine is a mixture of law and grace. Okay, I know if you go back in history at the, <clears throat> the Council of Trent in the 16th century, um, the Catholic Church explicitly denied um, the idea of salvation by faith alone. They've, Catholics have always held that certain sacraments are necessary for salvation. Um, the issues for these first century Judaizers were things like Sabbath keeping and, and circumcision, and, and the issue for modern day Catholics are uh, things like baptism and confession and the Eucharist and so forth. Um, the works considered necessary might have changed from the first century Judaism to today, but, but both of them uh, attempt to merit grace through the performance uh, of these ritualistic acts. Um, brothers and sisters, right? there is not a new gospel, okay? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It's the same one that was proclaimed in the garden where they talked about Eve's seed, right, who is Christ, uh, and how he will crush Satan. Okay? It's the same one proclaimed in all of Scripture. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For by grace you have been saved by faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And I think, uh, how often can we say, as, as Paul did in, in the later chapter or later verses of chapter 3, that he counts everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as Lord, and for his sake suffer the loss of all things and count them as as garbage in order that he may gain Christ and be found in him. Right? Christ alone, uh, faith alone, grace alone. Um, it's, it's hard in this world, okay? It, it, it's, uh, it, it's really hard, uh, which is why it's even more important to continually focus on the cross, right? I mean, to focus on Christ, to focus on the life giver, the Redeemer, the Sustainer, the God who has transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And a big part of this continually growing in faith uh, is preaching the gospel to yourselves daily. Daily. To remind yourself and others of the goodness of the Lord. 
um, to, to know as uh, the Heidelberg Catechism um, that says that uh, it asks the question, uh, what is our only comfort in life and death? And um, it says that our only comfort in life, death, the, the comfort that we can rejoice in daily is this. I'm going to read it. It says uh, that I am not my own, but belong body and soul in life and in death to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ who has paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil and watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. Because I belong to him, Christ, by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. Uh, and I give a, a big amen to that. Awesome stuff. Uh, things we can rejoice in, right? And, and part of that continual uh, growth in faith and, and rejoicing is uh, this, right? It, it's taking part in the ordinance of communion, uh, which reminds us uh, of our reliance on his body and blood to sustain us in him, uh, to know that through his shed blood and resurrection that we are one with Christ, that we have eternal life. To know Jesus paid for every sin we've committed or ever will commit, uh, and that there's absolutely no condemnation in Christ. To know that we're no longer slaves of sin or under its dominion, uh, but we're joint heirs with Christ and will share in his reward, knowing that, that every bit of pain uh, that we endure uh, produces an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, and, and God is there to supply our every need. So at this time, uh, I'm going to invite Chris up here and play some music in the background. And i just like you to, to take some time here and really just rejoice in the Lord, uh, to reflect on who Christ uh, is and who you are in him. And then uh, when you feel led, come up and, and take the bread and juice and head back, and then I'll come back up here and we'll, we'll eat and drink together um, all right, let me, uh, let me pray. Uh, Lord, we just uh, thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for your work on the cross, um, Lord, that makes us new. And thank you for that. No matter what circumstance you put before us, we know it's for uh, our good and for your glory. Uh, even if our, our finite minds don't know what you're up to, uh, Lord, thank you that we get to rejoice in your sovereign hand and that we get e eternal joy knowing that um, you brought salvation to us. So, uh, Lord, we, we love you and we praise you in all things. In Christ's name, amen. <clears throat>